Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. You're driving along Pikes Peak Highway in the state of Colorado, USA. The elevation is getting higher and higher, and you can feel the quality of the air changing. Around each bend and twist in the road, you see views of snow-capped mountains and trees, a winding network of forests, peaks, and valleys that spread out around you in all directions, even as your tiny car clings to the road. You pull off to the side of the road, at a spot where people can get out and enjoy the view, Maybe you take a selfie or two. You're about to get back in the car when you see the sign. It reads, Bigfoot Crossing. Due to sightings in the area of a creature resembling Bigfoot, this sign has been posted for your safety. Okay, very funny, you think. Bigfoot is just a harmless myth made up by people who like to tell tall tales about things they've seen in the woods. It's totally pretend and not even scary. It's basically an overgrown ape. But then again, if it's harmless, why does the sign say, for your safety? And if it's totally pretend, why do people all over the world say they have seen things in the mountains, the woods, in the snow, that resemble a seven-foot-tall human covered in hair? And is it true that some of those creatures carry weapons in case they encounter a human? Or even that they may eat a human if given the chance? I'm Elise Parisian, and today we're going to talk about whether or not this worldwide myth is a myth at all, and whether Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, or the Yeti, or any of the other names are actually the gentle giants we hope they are, all on this episode of Unspookable. Bigfoot and, like, a yeti, they're just big, very big. Yetis are white, and I think that Bigfoot would be, like, brown. Bigfoot is this, like, ginormous creature. And when I was on that, I was watching Nat Geo Wild when I was younger, National Geographics, and then they're like... There's a big footprint, and everyone was, like, so scared on TV, and they're, like, hunting for Bigfoot. Well, you call Bigfoot Bigfoot because he has a big foot. (laughs) A tall creature, around eight feet tall at least, covered in shaggy, coarse fur, walking upright on two legs, but maybe hunched over a little, like a primate, mostly sticking to the shadows in the forest or where it can blend in but leaving huge footprints behind wherever it goes. What would you call such a creature? For many in the Pacific Northwest regions of North America, in Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, the names Sasquatch and Bigfoot are the most popular. In the Himalayan mountain regions of Asia, you may hear the name Yeti. But have you heard of the Yowie, or the Yaren, the Mapangari, or simply the Wild Man? 
Stories of this type of human-like creature exist in most cultures around the world, especially popular in regions where humans live just on the edge of untouched areas of the natural world. Though the exact features may differ, each place seems to fit the description of their particular Sasquatch to its natural environment. They may all be hairy, but in a dry, sandy climate, they might be colored like the sand or like a wild dog. In a snowy climate, they're white. And in places like Pikes Peak, Colorado, they are the brown of the tree trunks all over the mountainside. So what is with our fascination with these creatures? Many historians and scholars believe that more than just letting our imaginations run away with us, humans believe in a creature like this because it represents our connection to the past, to our recent caveman-like ancestors, and our connections to the species of primates that are still alive on Earth today. Sasquatch could function as a missing link, halfway between human and primate, or human and Neanderthal, and therefore, if a Sasquatch were alive today, it would be an amazing scientific discovery to find one in the wild. Before the Western world used names like Sasquatch or Bigfoot, tales of the wild man were popular all over Europe. The wild man shows up in illustrations, in handwritten manuscripts, and in family crests dating back to the 1100s. For many Europeans, the legend of the wild man represented the power and the mystery of the uncivilized man, the way humans used to live in the forest before modern society. The wild man was hairy, wore no clothes, and was a fierce hunter and warrior. This legend may have something to do with Europe's former pagan beliefs. Prior to Christianity, gods like Sylvanus, who was the protector of the woods and the fields in Roman classical mythology, were depicted much like these wild men in later centuries. They also bore resemblance to other woodland mythical creatures, like fawns and satyrs, who were part man and part goat or horse, distinctly part human, but also mostly covered in hair. In Middle English, one of the words for wild man was woodwoes or wodewoes, which may roughly translate to being of the forest or forest orphan as if the wild man was abandoned by all other men to live in the wild. Some traditions, like the Celtic and Slavic mythology, have tales of men who, though they were once civilized, were punished or went mad and returned to the forest, growing out their hair and becoming wild once again. These tales served as lessons, warnings even, that the strength or power of the wild man may be admirable, but there is a fine line that tethers human man to the world he belongs in. And we have to be careful to keep the society we've built intact unless we want to become wild again. What is this wildness? It seems we are as excited by it as we are scared of it and are looking for signs of it everywhere. One of the places we tend to find it is in our close relatives, the primates. Back before we had specific classifications for animal species, before the global world we live in now, in which people can share images and facts about animals that live halfway across the world, people in Europe received reports of short, hairy men living in the wilds of Borneo in southeastern Asia. They were described as mostly solitary creatures with long arms covered in orange hair who lived in the jungles of the island. Does this creature sound familiar to you? Yeah, it's not a human at all, but an orangutan. Our name for the three different species of great apes that live in Indonesia and Malaysia. Many people used to believe that these and other apes were just a different type of human instead of a separate species, 
similar to how we might see a legend about Sasquatch today. In Indonesian, orang hutan can be translated to man of the forest. And there are other possibilities for the idea for Sasquatch coming from our connections to our non-human relatives. An extinct primate scientists now call Gigantopithecus blacki lived in Southeast Asia for almost a million years, until about 300,000 years ago. It is possible that small groups of these apes survived even longer. If so, early humans in the area could have encountered the creatures. Anyone who discovered such a large jaw before scientists had explored our prehistoric family tree may have thought that it came from a gigantic human, or at least an ape much more powerful than a human could ever be. More recently, people in China have collected the fossilized teeth and jaws of Gigantopithecus because they believe they have healing powers. Beyond southeastern Asia, the rest of the world first got a description of this giant when a German paleontologist traveling in Asia in 1937 decided to take a closer look at a jawbone for sale in a Chinese apothecary's shop. Many scientific sources credit this man with discovering Gigantopithecus, but Chinese people and people who live in neighboring India had been finding the fossils for probably thousands of years. This brings up an interesting point about Sasquatch stories in general. Often, Europeans or other Westerners who are visiting or even colonizing another culture's land have adapted these stories for their own purposes, making their own versions the ones that many of us, especially in the U.S. and Canada, know today. The word Sasquatch comes from just such a case. In the 1920s, a man named A.J. Burns was employed by the Canadian government on a Native American reservation near Vancouver, British Columbia. Native American reservations, some of which still exist today, are places where governments of the white colonizing powers, like the U.S. government, forced indigenous people to relocate to when they took control of the land of North America. A.J. Burns began collecting and publishing the stories he was told by indigenous people on the reservations about a giant, hairy creature that lived peacefully on their land. The Chehalis people called this creature Saskets, which Burns, nor I to be perfectly honest, knew how to pronounce. So he pronounced it as Sasquatch. Many indigenous people in North America have stories of sharing their land with creatures such as these, some more friendly than others. The Lummi people in Washington state have the Tsemekt, also thought to be generally friendly. But one version of this creature, the Stiyaha, comes out only at night, and children were warned not to say its name out loud unless they wanted to be carried away into the forest. Indigenous people around Mount St. Helens in Washington have referenced a cannibalistic group of giants that live on the mountain called skookums. And there are other versions of these giants all over the world, some perhaps more frightening than others. The Tianshan Mountains and other areas of Central Asia have the Alma, a wild man that lives in secluded areas and has features that locals describe as similar to an early Neanderthal species, seven feet tall with a flat nose and pronounced brow. The Nandi people in Kenya have the Chimosit, which some describe as looking like a bear or a hyena that can walk upright, but some describe as more of a primate with ferocious teeth. It is said that some of the Chimosit crave human flesh and will eat the brains of their human victims as a special delicacy. According to Japanese legends, the Hibogan is around five feet tall, shorter than most other Bigfoot-like creatures, but similar in that its footprints are enormous, two or three times the size of a human's, and it lives only in remote areas, 
hiding from prying human eyes. In Brazil, the Mapingari is said to be the animal form of a shaman who discovered the secret to immortality. Described as a fearsome giant creature with features like a sloth or sometimes ape, the Mapingari roams the Amazon rainforests, only coming out into the world of humans to terrorize them. In 1937, a Mapingari reportedly went on a three-week rampage in central Brazil. Witnesses report that over 100 cows were found slaughtered, each with its massive tongue ripped from its body. In China, the Yaren, which has been translated to wild man, man monkey, and man bear, lives in the mountains and forests of western Hubei. According to legend, when the Yaren encounters a human, it grabs him or her tightly by the arms and faints, overwhelmed with joy. But then when it awakens, it may eat its victim. The Yowie has its origins in Australian Aboriginal history. Over 3,000 distinct Yowie sightings have been reported in the Blue Mountain area, west of Sydney in the past few decades. And most tribes have their own name and their own version of this creature, much like the native North Americans. Though descriptions may vary, many say it's at least seven feet tall, with a flat face, and is often very shy. One interesting detail that varies between Australian versions, the number of toes this creature has, with some reporting as many as eight toes on each giant foot. The Yeti of the Himalayan mountains comes from Nepalese folklore. In Western popular culture, the term abominable snowman came to describe this creature after a British officer on an expedition to Mount Everest in 1921 thought he saw huge bare human footprints in the snow. Upon returning to India and speaking to an English newspaper there, he said their Nepalese guide described the prince as belonging to the wild man of the snows, which the newspaper changed to abominable in order to make it sound even more exciting and attract attention to the story. But most Nepalese people would never describe the Yeti as fierce or abominable in any way. I think that Bigfoots and Yetis aren't real because the, the biggest thing that's still alive right now is like a whale, but like dinosaurs could have been the biggest thing. I think Bigfoot is real because like it was on like a scientific show and like there's these ginormous footprints so clearly there are many examples of bigfoot-like creatures in many cultures what is it about looking out into the wilderness that makes us tell these stories for many of us it could be the way that a fear of the unknown leads us to imagine all sorts of things Scientists have described a fear of the unknown as a fear of the absence of information at any level of processing or consciousness. When we ask a question like, what's out there in the woods, and we can't use our senses to come to a satisfactory answer, this scares us. The human brain is just wired that way. It's triggering that fear of the unknown that has kept our species surviving long enough over thousands of years to evolve into what we've become today. In a study about fear responses in the amygdala, the part of the brain that is responsible for emotions, survival, instincts, and memory, scientists were wondering about the role that the unknown played in activating the fear centers of the brain. For instance, many of us would probably be more afraid if we saw a snake than if we saw a flower. But what if we're told that one of the flowers we might come across in the experiment is poisonous? Or what if we see the snake behind glass? 
the study showed that as soon as you introduce ideas into the human brain that change what we think we know, the amygdala is activated differently. And part of that activation is projecting, making up scenarios and possibilities about what we don't know. These stories we tell ourselves may be exciting or fun, like there could be friendly aliens out in the vast reaches of space, or mermaids in the sea, but they could also be born out of fear. Like when we imagine monsters under our bed, or Bigfoot in the woods, or even when we are afraid of another human being who looks different than we do because we consider them unknown. A lot of the quest for human knowledge has been trying to make us known to ourselves. Who are we? What are we made of? Where did we come from? How are we related to other things on this planet? Many of us want to know, and because we can't necessarily get a complete answer, especially to the question, why do we exist? There are a lot of different answers we come up with. Part of our fascination with Bigfoot, like with many almost human creatures, may be because of our interest in defining ourselves. If we identify creatures like primates and great apes, and even potentially imaginary creatures like Bigfoot, as very close to, but different than humans, we can maintain our position as the dominant species on our planet, and fill in for ourselves more about what we are by saying what we're not. We are not wild. We are not covered in hair. We are modern humans. But what's so scary about the wild, anyway? Just this year, mountaineers from the Indian Army near the Makalu base camp in Nepal tweeted about some very interesting tracks they discovered in the snow. The footprints were huge, about 32 inches long, and the team decided they were made by a yeti. Now, whether they actually believe that or were playing along with the idea because it's more fun, well, we'd have to ask them that. Animal experts in that region have said that those tracks could have been made by a Himalayan black bear walking with her cub, where the cub stepping in the mother's footprints to better walk in the snow makes them huge. But what if it was a yeti? Daniel Taylor, who wrote a book about yeti myths, said that we believe in yetis or Bigfoot for the same reason we believe in other legendary creatures. We want to, because it makes life more fun to believe. With the legends of Bigfoot in particular, it's also possible that we want to believe in this specific creature because it gives us a connection to the natural world. A natural world that modern humans feel out of touch with. We might want to think that there's some almost human creature living in harmony in the wilderness. The wilderness that we came from. The wilderness that is still buried deep within each of us. We want to believe in that creature, and maybe even see it, because we recognize that we aren't so very different. Many of the Bigfoot descriptions we've come across make it seem like there's only a few details that separate us. The slightly larger than average body, the long hair covering the skin. But what if you left behind your ideas about what a human should look like and went to live in the woods? How long might it take you to resemble Bigfoot? 10, 20, 30 years? Physically, we might not really be that different. So then, could it be the fact that we feel like we can't live without modern comforts we've developed over the thousands of years since humans have lived as hunters and gatherers? Is that what is so strange to us? If you think it's weird to live a solitary life in the woods, without clothes, without electronics or the internet, imagine how 
weird a Bigfoot would think we are. Listening to something called a podcast, probably traveling from one concrete and steel building to the next, instead of enjoying the freedom of the wilderness. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen with episode artwork by Sarah Stitches. Special thanks this week to our guests, Blythe and Olivia. Are you enjoying the show so far? Make sure to tell your friends. You can also leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. Or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, did you know that Unspookable is on Twitter? Look for us at I'm Unspookable. Have an idea for a future episode? Want to reach out about a potential partnership or sponsorship? You can contact the Unspookable team on our website at unspookable.com. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.